Dr. Stu's podcast at drstuespodcast.com. Also on iTunes, subscribe to Dr. Stu's podcast on iTunes. Write him a nice review. Give him five stars. My goodness, the man is a doctor. Give him five stars and uh, you'll never miss a new episode of Dr. Stu's podcast. If you subscribe on iTunes, you can always come right here to the website, drstuespodcast.com, where we have links to Dr. Stu's blogs. We have links uh, to the birth sanctuary. We've got links to all the stuff we talk about on the podcast. There's a link right here on Dr. Stu's podcast. Yeah, I think it's really important, Brian, to, uh, we, uh, that our listeners know that it, that spreading the word is really, is, uh, is really a good thing for this because we need this to grow. So if you really like Dr. Stu's podcast, you really need to send it to at least a friend or two. And if you really hate Dr. Stu's podcast, then send it to all your enemies. Yeah, but make, but make sure you get it out there yeah. so that you, even your enemies are listening to it. Yep, we say to folks, tweet it out. Go ahead and tweet out Dr. Stu's podcast uh, to your friends. Put it up on your Facebook page yeah. as a link. And we're, our listenership is growing because folks are doing that. We want to encourage more of that. I think, I think it won't be long before I get nudged over the cliff to tweeting. I still haven't uh, taken up tweeting yet. I know, we've I, got to get you into the tweeting. Uh, I know, pretty soon. You see but what I, they're doing in Russia, by the way? The Olympics are coming up. I thought... Oh, they banned, they banned cell phones. Yeah, the, you can't have an iPhone. You can't have an iPad. You can't do Instagram or Facebook or Twitter from the uh, yeah, Soviet Union. Yeah, I'm sorry, I, we'll Russia, see, we'll so. see how well that it's, works. Right, yeah. We're going to see how well that works. Yeah, right. So Bob Costas can't tweet out from the Olympics. Anyway, but, I just want to uh, tell listeners again, I'm, I'm here with my, my wonderful uh, cohort, Brian Whitman, who is a professional radio talk show guy. And my, my friend Randy Wang, who's our producer. Hey, now. <laughs> and, and Jamie is here with us again. The kitty cat. And she's at, uh, what, 11 weeks now? Yeah. She's, she's going to sweeter. be a big girl. She's really cleaning yeah. her paws, she's, isn't she? She's helping set up the wires and everything for our, our production. Yeah, that's right. And if there is a glitch, that would be Jamie down there. Sometimes she'll pull out a wire because she wants to play with it. That's right. Yeah, so that's right. And, it's, and, it, and she has every right to. She certainly does. We here on Dr. Stu's <laughs> podcast are bringing back Celeste McNeil and Stephanie Dawn. Both ladies were on the last podcast, which I congratulated you, was your silver podcast, your 25th podcast. That's right. Well, now we're on 26. We're going to go for 27. <laughs> All right. Let's go for 27. <laughs> right. And let's keep going. Stephanie Dawn is the founder of the Sacred Birth Mentor Program. She would call herself a birth activist. Celeste McNeil is a prenatal yoga instructor. She's also an advocate for choice and a, and an advocate for childbirth education. Thanks to you guys for coming back. So we got a great reaction uh, to the show that we had on with you last time where we talked, among other things, about Rowan Bailey and her situation in North Carolina. And we talked about the persecution and the prosecution of, uh, of a midwife. And, and uh, this is this is a wonderful thing about uh, the Internet now that we have. It's is that like Internet talk radio or podcasting is because we can talk we can actually fight back we can actually talk about topics where we were stifled before we don't we didn't ever had an outlet before when i saw injustice when i was first starting out in practice and i saw negligence or i saw stupidity in the hospital you know who am i going to tell who could i talk to about it now i have catharsis i can go on the podcast and i can bring people on like like Celeste and Stephanie, to talk about something that's truly an injustice. Yeah, right. Without a doubt. And uh, th there are more stories, I mean, uh, that, that we want to share today about, uh, about the persecution or the prosecution of uh, folks involved in births that are not at the hospital. At-home births. Uh, we talked, of course, last time, as I mentioned a moment ago, of Rowan Bailey, who's under house arrest in North Carolina. But, Stephanie, as you pointed out, Last time, she's not the only one in this in a situation like this. No, no. Well, I, I to my understanding, she's the only one who's been charged with murder. But but midwives are um, in criminal cases and and um, 
uh, uh, legal cases all over the world, hundreds. There's hundreds. I was astounded to see the list, actually. There's a group on Facebook called Sisters in Chains, and um, they're all there. Oh, wow. Uh, really, Facebook, it's a Facebook group called Sisters in Chains. Yes. Okay, we will link to that on, uh, on the main page here at Dr. Stu's podcast, so you can click over there. What, and it does it give uh, information about... Uh, uh, about all their cases, about wow. their Indiegogo campaigns. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Do you, do you have some of those? Uh, I know you told me during the break that we had, you may have some names of people and maybe some brief scenarios about some of the things that people are being persecuted yeah. for. You know, I, I, one of the reasons why I'm here today is because I send out a, a, a monthly newsletter and Dr. Stuart Fishbein replied back to my newsletter because I had interviewed uh, a midwife, a lot like Rowan Bailey, actually. Uh, her name is Babs Covington. She's a traditional uh, elder community midwife. Mm. Who does not work in North Carolina anymore because she does not want to go to jail and uh, I interviewed her because she has been around for about 30 years mm. and she has a whole bunch of stories so if, it, if, if it's okay with you guys I'd love to quote a little bit of her interview sure and some of the stories about what's going on with some of the midwives in the States and this is directly from Babs there was a midwife on the West Coast charged with homicide she took a plea of assault so she could just go home it cost her a hundred thousand dollars There was a midwife in Raleigh who lost one child in a 17-year practice. Those are damned good stats. Hundreds of babies she caught for a grateful community who supported her wholeheartedly. She was forced out of the state, leaving her community. There's a midwife I know who responded to a neighbor's emergency call in the middle of the night. Not a client, a neighbor who called. When she got there, the primaries had already transported. The lone policeman asked her name. She gave it. She was arrested and eventually charged with practicing medicine without a license. She lost thousands and thousands of dollars in defending herself. Not because the mom and dad had a complaint, because the state wanted her to go away. I know a midwife who attended a breech birth. Nothing went wrong. No one was harmed. She still went to prison because it was against the law to attend a breach where she was. No matter that she had decades of experience, no matter that it was the mother's choice not to present herself for a doctor-ordered section, she went to prison how the world still dearly loves a cage. You know, Stephanie, as I listen to that, and Dr. Stowe, I want to get your feedback. I, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not comparing this uh, effort, although you might, and you could, uh, I, uh, you know what, you could compare it in some ways to other struggles we've seen historically in our great country, the civil rights movement, uh, the, the uh, women's suffrage, I mean, you know, the, the right of women to vote. Uh, th- these were very long battles fought hard and long uh, with the government and with the community. And do- it seems to me that you can score, you can score points, you can have victories as we had here in California with the assembly bill. But unless you change the hearts and minds of communities, of Americans, so that they tolerate or accept birth outside the home, it will continue to be this way, won't it? Yeah, well, Brian, when you talk about uh, you know, comparing it to those big battles that were fought years ago, um, we're talking about very small numbers right now. And so it's very, we're very easy pickings to be plucked off. By, by overzealous prosecutors or by bullying tactics of hospitals or uh, OB medical societies, those sorts of things. You spoke briefly about the assembly bill, and one of the things that uh, Stephanie just mentioned was a woman being prosecuted for delivering a breached baby. I'm going to have on in a future podcast a midwife locally here named Beth Cannon because one of the things that's in this assembly bill that got slipped through, although the idea of supervision got taken care of, 
They slip through into the bill certain restrictions on what midwives can do and, and things like breach deliveries starting January 1st in California will be illegal by midwives. Now, doctors are, are not doing breach deliveries anymore. So, and even though breach delivery is an option, they've now made a law because the doctors aren't doing them. The doctors have now influenced the legislature through ACOG and other things to ban midwives from doing breach deliveries so that no one can do breach deliveries. Now, if a midwife has been doing breach deliveries all her career, suddenly it becomes illegal because the, because the legislature or the doctors think it's a bad idea, even though science says it's a good idea. I mean, these are the kind of things that are, they are infuriating. So, uh, you know, when we, when we talk about the good things that have happened like, with like the assembly bill, and, but we're setting ourselves up for more of this sort of thing because a woman's going to be at home and she's going to say, you know what, I don't want to go to the hospital. And what's the midwife going to do when she discovers the baby's breach at seven centimeters? She's going to have to say, I have to leave you now. So she's going to have to abandon her patient because if she stays, she risks arrest. If she leaves, she risks abandonment. If she t transfers to the hospital, she risks doing something against her patient's wishes. What the hell is a, is a midwife supposed to do in You're that damned situation? Damned if you do and damned if you don't. Yeah, you, well, what the, what the medical establishment would say is, well, we don't need midwives. You're all damned, so get the fuck out of here. Celeste McNeil is here. She was here with us last time, a prenatal yoga instructor and an advocate for choice and for childbirth education. And by the way, on the last podcast, that's on drstewspodcast.com, uh, you were the runner-up. Something you said a bunch of times on the show last time, uh, quote, I'm releasing myself to my own care. That was the quote from this very powerful mom yes. that you shared with us, a very personal story uh, from North Carolina that you shared with us uh, that I know uh, was emotional for a lot of people to listen to. So I want you to know, while, while you didn't get the coveted title spot of the last podcast, you were right there. You were, yeah, woo okay. You were right there. As you hear this, any, any, any thoughts on this? I know that you're obviously, uh, let me ask you this. Since you say openly that, uh, that, that you're an advocate for choice, is, is what we're seeing here with home birthing or out of hospital birthing, or the right for women and moms mm -hmm. to have their babies mm -hmm. where they want to have them. Is this a predictable outcome, a predictable result, the pre predictable sort of next thing from the choice movement? I think I'd want to touch on the control that's going on with the medical establishment the control and the money. I mean, follow the money in any scenario and that's where you go. Mm. So there's not a lot to be said that, well, how do I want to say this? The choice part needs to be supported by communities, just like you were saying. So if I want to have a home birth, we have to make that an awesome, like the doctor needs to say awesome. Bad, uh, this is a great midwife. Let's go. My mom in 1978 was just sharing a story. And, and Dr. Stu, how many, how many doctors are hearing from patients, I want to have a home birth, and are exclaiming in the office, awesome. Uh, Did that happen once last year in California? Um, no, I don't know, Brian, but I, probably I, I would not. say it's in single digits. In single digits, okay. Yeah, right. and it probably if there was one doctor that did it, he's the one that did all the digits. So Okay, <laughs> right, right. So it's very centralized, right. So, so, so it is very centralized. It's, it, yeah, it, it, you're not going to see that. And the persecution of, of this whole process or of what midwives do and what women want to choose is, is not going to go away. It's not going to go away because of many things we've talked about before. 
talked about the fact that new doctors are not being taught natural birth. They're not taught being taught normal birth. They're not being taught what it, how to leave women alone. They're only taught how to intervene. Mm-hmm. Talk about how the medical uh, committees at hospitals and the administrative people at hospitals, you know, it is an economic thing. They do have uh, an economic incentive to uh, bring people into the hospital. There's no economic incentive to to slow interventions or to slow the cesarean section rate. We talked in one of our previous podcasts about the corruption of science and how you know you see articles coming out that make home birth look bad, all right, when if you, if you, if you break them down, the science is horrible and it's, all, it's, it's essentially uh, ideology uh, mistaken as uh, a science. Do you guys often think in, 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 the, uh, in the home birth movement or the out of hospital birth movement, you're all in it, do you, do you often wonder what it might be like 100 years from now when none of us are here? Unless, oh, oh, yeah, Dr. Stu might live to about 157. He's a very tough guy. He might, you might, you might be around for another 100 years, my friend. And yeah, God willing, we'll I be pray. Doing, we'll be doing podcast number 132,471. Yeah, right, right, right. God, right. God willing. By right. that point, I think no doubt the numbers of home births uh, would have grown. I think when these efforts, when these great social efforts are made and when they are made uh, earnestly and when they are fought in a, in a, in a tough but civilized way, uh, usually progress is seen. Do you guys, Stephanie, do you often wonder what the world might be like for moms in 100 years when you're no longer here? Do you? Yeah, I think it'll be um, a certain, I mean, I, 100 years, gosh. Brian, Brian likes to ask these questions, which really, which really uh, you know, have, allow you to just wander with any way you want to go with your answer. Well, I mean, <laughs> so you where don't even have I to go, answer them directly. Where yeah. I go to is sort of this birth utopia where men are honoring a woman's right to uh, birth her way. And um, and and all others do as well. You know, here's what it is. We live in a world where the medical authority is exerting power over a woman, her baby, the birth, the family. And it's just unacceptable. And it's not just the medical authority we learned with Rowan Bailey. It's the state authority. Exactly. It's law enforcement's authority that's being exerted over these folks. It's a paradigm. It's a world that we live in. And, you know, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, myself, Celeste, and all of our colleagues all over the world, we are stepping wholeheartedly into this new paradigm of birth Mm. that is woman-centered. You know, it's completely different paradigm. Mm. And I thank God for Dr. Stuart Fishbein that he's in my backyard and that I get to converse with him regularly. And he, he's a stand for women and he has been for many years. Well, thank you, Stephanie. And I just I want to just correct one thing that you said. Okay. You, know, you, you talked about having men leaving space for women. Mm-hmm. And I would tell you that in my profession, a lot of the antagonists toward home birthing are not men. Thank you. Okay. Okay. So, so I'll, I'm just defending my, thank, my gender. I appreciate that. And you know what I you know what I would say, I hear you and I would agree because it's also there are plenty of women who are in alignment with the 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 masculine energy perhaps that would exert power okay. over women. That, I can concede that. But I, I that would, embody that. But that I, are women. Right. But you know my my vision of the future is that one hundred years from now maybe whatever. Uh, <laughs> My question, I got a great answer from her on my 100 years question. Let me me elaborate. All right. My vision of the future is if and when the veil of secrecy and confidentiality that that occurs in a hospital, okay, is going to be broken. And we're not talking about specifics. We don't want to violate HIPAA. But when people knew what went on in a hospital, Mm -hmm. 
You know, home birth is growing despite all the negative publicity about home birth, right? It would grow significantly more if people actually knew some of the stuff that goes on in a hospital that never gets reported. For instance, me, it's sort of your job, you guys, uh, on this great effort to, to make people aware of those Yeah, things. well, let me make you aware of some of the things that I've seen in the last 25 years when I used to work at a hospital. Well, one, of the, one of my ones that comes to mind in the idea of, of criminal versus, uh, versus civil negligence, um, there was a woman who was having her third baby. Uh, she was going to a doctor who happened to be the chairman of the department at a hospital that I worked at in Ventura County, which I shall not name, but is the name of a saint. And his name isn't Joseph or anything else, but it begins with a J, and it's in Oxnard. Okay? I think I got it. All right. So at that hospital, which shall remain nameless, yeah, the chairman really, of the department really had tough. a woman who was having her third baby who happened to be breech. Her first two babies were vaginal births. Her third baby was breech. Okay? So didn't offer her a version. He didn't offer her a breech delivery. He didn't offer to refer her anybody else. He told her she needed a C-section. Scheduled her C-section for her. Didn't examine her preoperatively. Brought her into the operating room. And you know, you can guess what happened here. Is she, he did a section on her and the baby had turned around and was head first. So he did an unnecessary section on a woman who could have easily delivered her third baby, vaginally, whether it had been head first or breech. Now, in my, term, in my assessment, that not only is negligent, that is battery. All right. He did a surgery on someone who didn't need surgery. That is effectively battery by the definition of the law. Now, not only was this case not prosecuted criminally, it was not prosecuted civilly that I know of, and there was no peer review on this guy because guess what? He was chairman of the department. So anything that's peer reviewed has to go through his desk, and somehow, magically, this didn't get peer reviewed. But if I walked in with the wrong scrubs on, I would get peer reviewed. So let me ask if you. My midwives did a birth. You know, where we let somebody push for three hours, we get peer reviewed. Let me ask you a question. Uh, if this, you know, th there was uh, no action brought uh, in this uh, scenario that you described a moment ago, how are you aware that it happened? I happened to be in labor and delivery that day delivering somebody when I, I heard about it because it was going on while I was in the labor and delivery unit. I see. And the nurse comes out and she goes, oops, you know, that sort of thing. You know, that's exactly, she quoted what the doctor said when he got inside. His quote was, oops. All right. Now, that's just one egregious thing. Now, people need to understand that. There are other egregious things where doctors, you know, don't uh, necessarily take care of their patients properly. Or, for instance, I can give you another example of a woman who had labored appropriately throughout the night, got to a point where she was scheduled. She needed to have a C-section for what's called a rest of dilatation. She didn't dilate anymore, but the baby was fine. So the physician who was taking care of her wanted to do a C-section on her, but because of a lineup of C-sections, there were two patients that had to go in front of her. And since she'd been fine, that was great. So he went to lie down, and they told him, or she, he told the nurses to wake me up when we're ready to go. Right. Two and a half hours later, they wake him up. They go into the operating room. No one listens to the baby before the surgery in the operating room, which is sort of standard procedure. He does a section on her, and the baby is dead. Okay? So somewhere in that two and a half hours, while the patient was in the hospital... The baby had died. Now, going back and looking at the fetal monitor, we realized that because she was scheduled for a C-section, the fetal, the baby had moved or the baby's heart rate had disappeared and not a nurse had come in for two hours to adjust the fetal heart rate monitor to find that. Now, my partner got peer-reviewed for that, but the hospital buries the rest of it. What happened to the nurses? What happened to the administration? What happened to the protocols? Nothing ever got known because it's secret, because the community doesn't get to know about it. We don't get to know. About, I know about it because it happened to my partner. And there's no, uh, you know, forgive me, uh, there's no um, equivalent. I'm the layperson here. There's no equivalent of a hall of public records for this type of no. thing? 
It's, no. a, it's all it's all of course it's all confidential it's all sealed yep. you have no access to it and i will tell, i will tell you that these are just two i i could i could take the whole hour and several more hours going through cases where people got the wrong medication they had a problem you know there are some of these things that do make the public because they happen to celebrities children right but more often than not they don't now i'm not saying this is a very common occurrence but neither is a bad outcome at home a common occurrence and when these things happen at home or sometimes there's not even a bad outcome, but just because a nurse was a, a midwife was doing something where she's not supposed to do it in a state where midwifery is illegal, they get prosecuted for that. If we looked at percentages, guys, and then I know Stephanie wants to jump in on something we'll get to you in a moment. If we looked at percentages, Dr. Stu, percentage of bad outcomes, to use your phrase, percentage of bad outcomes at the hospital when there's a birth, percentage of bad outcomes at home when there's a birth, would the percentages be equal or would one have a higher percentage of bad of, of, of bad outcomes. Well, the term bad outcome is overly broad, Brian. You can't... Well, you used it. That's why I'm, you know... Okay. Well, let's talk about it. I mean, the C-section rate in the hospital setting is 34% nationally. All right? The C-section rate of home birth mothers nationally is about 7%. So, are there more complications with surgical birth? Yes. What are there more complications in subsequent births? Scarring, pain, adhesions, bleeding... Placenta, placental problems, uh, bowel obstruction, ruptured uteruses in the future. Yeah, all those things are, are potential problems. And if you have a C-section rate that's four to five times higher in the hospital, clearly you're going to have more problems down the road. Mm. I can't, I don't know, I couldn't tell you whether the percentage of babies born with low APGAR scores or anything like that were something where there's a chronic problem. Because a, a low APGAR score doesn't necessarily mean anything. Mm. But if there's a chronic, I can't tell you that because the hospital stuff isn't public knowledge. You don't know that. Whereas a home, home birth, sort of everything gets sort of blown out of proportion when there's a really bad outcome. Stephanie? I think it's really important to note that hospitals are businesses. Their dollars are the bottom line. And, and they can close up shop and close ranks when they need to keep information, you know, private or secretive. And, and, and we have placed our blind faith in their ability to do right by us, thinking that we're going to be cared for. And I kind of feel like in my, my, what, 10 years now of doing this work is that we're sometimes it feels like we're sending lambs to the slaughter. They think they're going to get cared for. And what they don't know is that a cascade of interventions can and often does happen to create a cesarean birth. But you know what, Stephanie, to me is is sort of the is is the rub there is that we live in a country, uh, Celeste as well. We live in a country where everybody who's alive in America right now, probably 99 percent of folks alive in America right now were raised to trust your doctor. Yeah. We were raised to trust the doctor. The doctor got respect. Yeah. I remember when I was a little boy. Yeah. And my mom would take me to the doctor. I was very, Brian, you know, you, you call mm -hmm. him, I won't say his name, you call him doctor, so, you know, and he was sort of this sort of iconic mm -hmm. figure in a five-year-old's life. It's like, wow, I'm going to the doctor, and he's this, you know, kind of impressive man, and, and he gives me medicine and makes me better. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that um, for people to accept that a doctor might be motivated by financial uh, motivators or a hospital or a great healthcare system might be motivated by financial uh, indicators Th that's a tough thing for some people to have to accept because it flies in the face of everything you were told from the time you were brought to the pediat pediatrician at, at one month old wake up people wake Amen. up Amen. wake Pe up people uh, uh, doctors generally look at hospitals can do great things and yeah. we're and and we've talked about it before that they they they've saved many lives in the hospital when of it comes course. to obstetrics. Of course, all right. But they they everyone knows 
that the numbers of, of things that are going on in the hospital, everyone that listens to this podcast knows that things are blown way out of proportion as far as the interventions go. And there, we've talked about the multiple uh, factors that influence medicine pri- other than what the doctor and patient relationship should should search for an ideal there. And those things are things like expediency, economics. We talked about the fear of litigation. Uh, hospitals, uh, administrators, you know, they have no incentive to do things the, to lower costs mm. um, or to lower the C-section rate because they want to lower costs, but they don't want to lower their revenues. And you know, certain by, by people who deliver at home, hospital makes zero. By people who deliver by vaginal delivery, hospital makes less. Now you could say that's really sinister, and why would a doctor want to do that? Well, we've talked about the fact that doctors sometimes just succumb to the pressures of what they're experiencing every day and, and give up. Like people do in other industries. Sure. Yes. Right. Sure. I mean, look, at in, in, in just about any industry, I mean, look, at in the military, if you're a grunt in the military and you are told to do something really stupid, you probably end up doing it because what's your choice? To speak up and, lose, and, and get fired or get court-martialed or get kicked out or get ostracized? You can't do that. You, you just can't do that in a setting uh, of the hospital. Otherwise, you end up like me, which is someone who spoke up and spoke up and ended up being ostracized and being told that, you know what? We don't want you doing your breaches here, or your VBACs here, or your midwives here. Matter of fact, we don't want you here, and we're going to make it miserable for you as long as we can. We're going to do it legally. Mm-hmm. We're going to we're going to we're going to do everything we can to make your life miserable, but we're going to follow the rules. And of course, the rules are set up to favor the hospitals, favor the big over the small. You think that there'd be whistleblower laws which would protect doctors who want to blow the whistle on hospitals? The problem is, is it becomes an immense amount of litigation like we talked about these midwives who are charged with something spend thousands and thousands of dollars just to get it thrown out or sometimes they'll plea bargain just because mm-hmm. they it's easier and we know we know if we watch enough television or we or we just li- live in the real world that sometimes you just have to take the lesser of two evils mm. uh, celeste you want to say something it kind of comes back to i'm under my own care it is we are empowered to say we know healing is inside us. We know that the strength of our ability to bring a baby into the world is natural and normal, and it has nothing to do with a doctor. We could do this on our own, unassisted birth. Google that. There's an amazing amount of people doing it on their own and bucking the system. So it's about coming back to to that, of the power. Right. And what I just want to, I want to speak to that, Celeste, because when you're when you're making an empowered decision to have an unassisted birth, that's one thing. There are some women, though, who are forced to have an unassisted birth because they don't want to go to the hospital. There isn't a Rowan Bailey in their backyard, and they don't have another choice. And we know of a case in which a mom died. Uh, she had twins mm-hmm. because she uh, did not want to go to the hospital, and Rowan was unable to, 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 to go tend to her. Did the babies live? Yes. They did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I b- believe so. So I th- bittersweet. Yeah, I think they did. So yeah, bittersweet. But the mom died. Yeah, yeah so I mean, I, in an ideal scenario, you talked about the doctor who was told by the patient that that I want to have a home birth, and the doctor goes, "Fantastic, awesome, awesome, best news you know, I've heard all day." That that I, an, an ideal physician who is ethically bound would say, "Listen, I don't agree with home birth, but you know what? It's a reasonable option. So therefore, go for it." And if, by the way, if you have a problem later on in your pregnancy and want to transfer back into my care. You're mo- more than welcome. Do you we should have a collaboration like that. Amen. We wouldn't have this. This lady with the twins would never have died if the if, if the the two if they hadn't been diametrically opposed. If there had been some collaboration in that community where she felt safe to go to the hospital and could still control her own fate. 
But mm. once you go to the hospital with that sort of thing, you can't do that. Stephanie. This is it. This is the key. This is 100 years from now, that doctors and midwives are working in collaboration with, the, with all the best of the medical model, with all the best of what midwives bring in terms of knowing what a woman needs and when she needs it, apart and away from all of the, 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 te- the tests and the, and the uh, machines and the dings and the fetal monitors and all that. There's, a, there's a, a womanly knowing that I believe Dr. Fishbein has or he wouldn't be a home birth midwife right now. You know, I think men have it, but they've they've squelched it. They're cut off from it. You know, whatever it is, they they and this is what midwives can bring to doctors, and vice versa. Mm. Yeah, There's, I mean, we we talked about the ultimate, the motivating factor for many people in obstetrics, in the medical side of it, is fear, and when when fear controls your actions, the it, it's rarely constructive. Uh, Yes, love is greater than fear. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Celeste is. You have I just happened to have that handy. She's got a lot why to say. Let's why don't you explain that? Yeah, to, let's get to Celeste. To Celeste has a lot to say here. Stephanie, Don, and I work in the spiritual front, and there is an ultimate knowing that we have as humans, and it's it's squelched from the beginning. Trust the doctor in the white coat. You have nothing. You're you're you have a fever. Go fix it. Well, now he'll fix it. Yeah, they'll right, fix it outside right. of you. But now the there's science is finally catching up, saying, oh, you have a fever awesome your body is brilliant it is flushing out the toxins so there's this natural appreciation that comes from trusting your body your innate intelligence as a woman to give birth or even as a human to know I have an important question. I'll ask it of Stephanie. Folks who are listening to Dr. Stu's podcast, maybe you're, uh, maybe someone who has not had a home birth, has not been really involved in that. Maybe it's not a mom or uh, you know, maybe it's just a lay person. And, and we do have all sorts of folks who listen. Uh, at this point, they might be thinking, and I want you to address it. At this point, they might be thinking, well, that home birth crew I'm listening to on Dr. Stu's podcast, although there's a doctor sitting there, they seem to be sort of suggesting that the doctor is almost not even necessary anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's something that the, the doulas and midwives talk about a lot, and it's called holding space, which has a lot to do with what we, what Celeste and I study, which is the sacred nature of birth, that you can hold space for this miracle that is happening that the woman was born to do. We have everything we need to do it, and we just need the support and the love and the care and the touch and the reminder that we have everything that we need to do this and to do it well. Dr. Stu, do you view the home birthing effort as sort of marginalizing you, the physician? No, I don't. I think that it's, uh, like I said, it's a collaborative effort. And I think, you know, um, Stephanie mentioned the word doula, and we've talked about doulas before. We've had them on with us. And if you, and if you, oh, and Celeste is a doula. Celeste is a doula. So if you, if everybody out there, whether you wanted a hospital birth or home birth, were to contact a doula, maybe not even hire one, but contact a doula, and ask a doula to share their experiences in the differences between home birthing versus hospital birthing. I would tell you that every doula has been traumatized, maybe at home, maybe in the hospital, but the birth isn't always go smoothly, and so you, you, know, you need to ha- have that awareness. But I can tell you that there isn't a doula who's worked uh, for any period of time who hasn't sat in a hospital and wanted to just scream or had to bite her lip because things that were happening in that hospital were something that were so counterintuitive to nature, counterintuitive to mammalian birth, and they can't say anything, they can't do anything. And the clients don't know any better. Mm. And so people need to be empowered, people need to understand that it, it, it is a normal process that occasionally goes wrong, but if 
if we medicalize everything, if we take everything in the hospital setting and we continue to vilify uh, midwives and to persecute and prosecute them to the exclusion of all others. I mean, if you're going to treat midwives that way, then you know what? Let's treat physicians that way and see how long that sort of shit lasts. It's not going to last very long when doctors start getting arrested for bullshit, okay? All it's right. not going to happen. But right now, no one seems to care because it's only midwives who we don't like anyway. Dr. Stu, as we come up on the end here, let's give a few moments uh, to our guest, Celeste McNeil, and then we'll go to Stephanie, uh, kind of just for a final word. And again, anything else you want to promote? Because you've been, wow, two great shows in a row from you guys. Unbelievable. Celeste first, go ahead. Thank you, thank you. As a doula, it is absolutely about education and empowerment. And so they need to know as women, as couples, it is their ability to speak the truth and to just live what's right for them. Cool. Stephanie? Well, I want to give some resources to the mothers that are listening to this podcast. These are two organizations that I wholeheartedly uh, love and feel are changing the culture of birth in the United States and around the world. They are improvingbirth.org. And That's a great organization. Mm -hmm. I'm, I've been involved with them, too, so I know about them. Yes. And humanrightsinchildbirth.com. All right, cool. And uh, we will have links on Dr. Stu's podcast uh, right there. Randy's going to be busy linking things up today. Well, on drstewspodcast.com, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, just look off to the right. Right, Randy? Just look off to the right. You'll see the link. It'll be under this episode. Right under the episode will be the link right here on the website at drstewspodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and I recommend you do that because you won't miss a single show. You can review Dr. Stu's podcast. Give him five stars. Maybe a nice comment. Uh, you, please. The man's a doctor. Got to respect the doctors, as we all agreed a moment ago, right? <laughs> did, we, did we agree to that, or were you? <laughs> well, I said since I was born, my mom said, Brian, you go to the doctor, and you dress up nice, and you be nice, be respectful. He's a very wise man. Share the link with friends. Share the link with enemies. That's right. right. Put it on your Facebook. Tweet out Dr. Stu's podcast. If you have a question for Dr. Stu, ask Stu at gmail.com. Yeah, send the link to all your obstetricians. I'm sure they'll be very excited to listen in. All right, and thanks for joining us. For Dr. Stuart Fishbein, I'm Brian Whitman. This is Dr. Stu's podcast.